It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, it's no secret that the world has been paying a great deal of attention to what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, that's always been the case, but especially over the last two weeks, uh, following this uh, horrific Hamas attack on Israel, President Biden is going to Israel today. Hundreds reported dead after a hospital was hit in Gaza. Hundreds of innocent people and both sides are sort of blaming one another for who's responsible for hitting this particular hospital. And there's a lot of concern about what this means for the future of relationships in the United in the United States and in the Middle East right before This whole episode, we were poised to see a rather historic recognition of Israel by Saudi Arabia. And that really could have had the potential to usher in a whole new era when it came to Middle Eastern relations. Where does that leave us now? Somebody with the answer to that question, and perhaps many others, is uh, Aziz Al-Gishion, who is a fellow at CPAD and a writer focusing on Saudi foreign policy towards Israel and Middle Eastern international relations. He joins us live from Saudi Arabia right now. Aziz, I know you have a lot going on this morning. I appreciate you joining me no my pleasure frank thank you very much for having me and uh, uh it's good to be with you aziz I, I think for us to discuss saudi arabia and israel uh, we have to look at least a bit at saudi arabia's relationship with iran some people in our audience and some americans they may not necessarily follow the history of the Saudis and the Iranians, and they kind of think, all right, they're all in the Middle East, they're all Arab countries, they're all Muslim, they all must get along. Uh, Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and Iran have not historically had the best of a relationship, have they? Yes. No, you're right, and I think this is one of the aspects, unfortunately, that uh, I think plagues the understanding of uh, the international relations of the Middle East. I think you, you, you very much allude to uh, the point that the Middle East is viewed monolithically. Uh, in other words, it's viewed as one kind of big block of uh, they must be either they're Muslim, they either must be all uh, uh, Arab, which they're not. Uh, they're either Muslim, which they're not. Uh, so I, I, there is a tendency, unfortunately, as someone who has been brought up and studied most of his education uh, uh, from the West, that, you know, to reduce the the Middle East to that. And I think that's very dangerous because then it just leads to a great deal of misunderstanding. So it's it's always good to to have these discussions and try to dissect the situation. Before this Hamas attack on Israel, where were Mm. where was the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Israel and where was it poised to go prior to this attack? Yeah, it's a good question. And the reality is that it is difficult to find out. The reason being, Frank, is that, you know, this deal was a multi-layered, multifaceted, uh, a series of um, negotiations on different fronts taking place simultaneously. So that's how, you know, that's how complicated it was. Um, And so... The Saudi position, uh, and I could speak to this uh, with some confidence, the Saudi position was one of a wait and see. 
you know, if the stars aligned, if the moving parts aligned on all these different fronts, then the, the deal would, would have picked up some significant pace. But the reality is, is that it was already an uphill battle anyway. Mm-hmm. It was already an uphill struggle anyway. Uh, so now, I think with the situation that's going on here, this is, this is just difficult. But just to reiterate the point, I mean, it's also worth noting that um, uh, Netanyahu, um, even people in the United States, uh, have over-politicized Saudi-Israeli normalization. And this is not new, Frank. You know, this, is, this has been going on since really the Arab Spring, and I think for, for, for the benefit of the viewers, or the, the listeners, I would say, no, no, and a very early morning listeners, um, uh, they, you know, this, this was a process that people were trying to do and trying to get Saudi Arabia to normalize relations with Israel, trying to get them closer together and uh, for their own political purposes. But so what this led was to a great deal of speculation. You know, a lot of the times people were saying, hey, we're on the cusp of something huge and then something and then all of a sudden it doesn't happen. Uh, we, you know, th- this, this, this deal is going to happen and then all of a sudden it breaks down. So it really brings into the question of the, the credibility of some of these reports. Um, so that's why it's very foggy. It's very foggy, Frank. When and you, um, when well, you, the situation is even more. Yeah, go on. No, I'm sorry. Just to clarify, when you say they sure. over politicize the significance yeah. of that deal, the Saudi uh, Arabia Israel deal. Yeah. W- what do you mean by that exactly? Okay, uh, thank you. For, this is an important question. So, for example, here, I'm sorry, here, uh, in the Middle East, Netanyahu, for example, uh, is trying to normalize relations with Israel. He is, trying to, he is trying to build a legacy for himself, trying to say, hey, this is, the, this is a situation that will bring us a great deal of benefit. This will uh, normalize us in the region to a certain extent. Um, and therefore, it, it's motivated by domestic legacies, political legacies, rather than what is good, for example, for uh, the state. I see. Because there are some Israelis that, you know, there are some Israelis that say, listen, normalization has to come in congruence with a Palestinian issue. Because as we could see in the Middle East, unfortunately, there's just no way around it. And a lot of the times people try to circumnavigate the issue. Uh, of the Palestinian issue. And then they believe that a normalization will hinder that because it'll just isolate them even more, which makes them more in despair. And then we just see more and more conflict when it comes to the United States. Oh, and let me just stick with Biden uh, with, I'm sorry, with Netanyahu also. So he is trying to do these things to say we are close with Saudi Arabia also to alleviate pressure domestically. In Israel, which I'm sure you guys have been covering about these uh, judicial reforms, mm-hmm. very controversial, very mm-hmm. divisive. And so he's, he's trying to use that to alleviate some kind of pressure off that and say, hey, let's all unite. Saudi Arabia is very close. We're, gonna, we're on the cusp of something. And that's why a lot of people in Israel don't believe him. When it comes to the politicization in the United States, this is a bipartisan issue. And of course, Israeli support is a very much a bipartisan issue. And... You know, what, why is this very political is that it's not only just uh, uh, a normalization deal, but this is people will celebrate this as a removal of leverage upon Israel to have something on the to, to, to concede something on the Palestinian front. 
You see what I'm saying? I do. So they're kind of, yeah, you know, and therefore it, uh, it, it, it politically resonates in Washington, D.C. And therefore you have this um, tandem of politicization of the situation, which makes it very foggy, but also makes it even more complex. As a result of this uh, politicization, Saudi Arabia and the Saudi ruling elite have sensed not only the eagerness, but the desperation for both Tel Aviv and Washington, D.C. to normalize relations with Israel. And as a result, they have then put the price tag very high with these, uh, with a treaty, a defense treaty, with nuclear cooperation and better access to weapons. So this is, it's going around in circles, to be honest. Where do things stand post-attack? How does the uh, uh, popu- the Saudi population and the Saudi government feel about the prospect of opening up relations with Israel after yeah. this whole incident? This is a very important question. Um, I've been writing and 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 arguing the fact that you know this situation has potential to if unresolved, has the potential to spill over into the region. So this is spilling over and it's becoming a security threat. So before, I think it was very, very difficult. Now it's just extremely, extremely difficult because I think, firstly, it's just now unfathomable to see Israel even talking about any kind of concessions towards towards the Palestinians. That's one. So the, the condition of that isn't, isn't uh, going to happen. Uh, anytime soon. Secondly, I think the fact that Saudi Arabia, the prospect of Saudi Arabia normalizing relations with Israel against a backdrop of an Arab-Israeli war, uh, this is a war now, this is officially a war, uh, it just makes it rather from a steep hill to a wall. And and I think, to be honest with you, my reading of the situation here and, and what I see here is that it reminds me of the Second Intifada, the discourse that's coming wow. out. I haven't seen discourse like this in, yeah, I haven't seen discourse like this in a long time. You know, people talking about boycotts, people talking about, because um, I remember as a kid in, in 2000, um, being here, uh, and uh, I, I, was, I was also just brought up from the United, you know, just moved from the United States to Saudi, so I remember it. Um, and, and then, it, you know, the situation is, I've never seen anti-Israeli sentiments, I would say, in the media for a very long time. Uh, I mean, 2021 in May, the last military operation in Gaza, it wasn't like this. You know, the Saudi sentiments were not like this. The 2024 wasn't like this. This is something that's, um, this is this is something that's different. And to be honest with you, Frank, I think this is an accumulative aspect. You know, this isn't just because of this particular thing. The Saudis and many others have been warning that the situation is, is really explosive. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, rather than focusing on the explosive tendency that this conflict has and the, and the provocation that has happening, and quite frankly, listen, this is a cyclical conflict. I'm, it's, it's worthless going into who started and who's worse and who's better and who's, be- you know, this is just an unhealthy discussion if one goes into this. But when we look at the situation, it was an explosive trajectory. And people have been focusing too much on the sensationalism of, of normalization rather than the explosive Got it. nature. Got it. And that is why 
the Saudi statement came out when, when the first, when the war first happened, it was sort of of a tone of, I told you so, you know, we've been warning about this. We've been warning about the explosive situation and nobody has, has, has taken too seriously. And there's just a the last point because I don't want to talk too much and, and take, take your time, but you know, unfortunately this goes back to the first point that you mentioned that sometimes viewers and, and people from outside view the, you know, the Middle East uh, simplistically, a lot of the times people underestimate that what the Saudi statements are. You know, they say, ah, they just dismiss them. These people are not really serious. And a lot of the times, you know, perceptions in the West, uh, and I'm a product of the West, by the way. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to wag my finger at it. You know, uh, I was brought up in the United States, lived most of my life in the UK, and and so I there 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 is a great deal of uh, compassion and, and and respect that I have for the societies there, uh, and for for the systems, etc. But you know, I think it's an it's a hazard by viewing something very complex from abroad. You know, absolutely, and, and absolutely, hap- yeah. You know, and what ha- yeah, and what happens is that sometimes they say, let's build a perception on that country, not on what they say, but based on what we think, <laughs> who we think they are. Uh, I so see the same why, thing uh, you know, going on in Eastern yeah. Europe with respect to Russia and Ukraine yeah. as well. So I'm not surprised to hear that. Uh, we're talking with Aziz Algishian, who has spent uh, a lot of time studying this and writing about it. And uh, Aziz, I know you got a lot going on and I know you got some personal stuff to attend to, but yeah. stick with me a few more minutes if you can. I want to play for you sure. this clip of uh, former U.S. Senator Al D'Amato, 13, uh, three-term Senator Al D'Amato. He's now an analyst on radio. He was on the Katz and Cosby radio show yesterday talking about um, Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Iran. This is what he said. Israel, all right, was going to get together with Saudi Arabia. And if Israel and Saudi Arabia came together, boy, oh boy, what a wonderful, powerful block for democracy, for the things that we stand for. Oh my God. And so that's why they pushed this thing. They, they could not let this take place. And I'll tell you this. Who's going to keep Iran from going nuclear? Name the country. Israel. One country. Israel. Israel. And that's now, why Iran you notice that President Biden. And here has we have Biden talking sp- about and having people talking about maybe letting them go atomic. What are you, out of your mind? So a two-part question based on what Senator D'Amato said there, Aziz. One, basically he was saying that Iran nudged Hamas along so as to destroy the prospect of a Saudi Mm Arabia-Israel alliance. I'd like your perspective as to whether that's true or not. And then secondly, when he refers to Saudi Arabia and Israel as a powerful block for democracy, Saudi Arabia is not a democracy, is it? Uh, I that is true. We are not a democracy and we have our own system. And so it just illustrates the fact that, you know, it speaks to the first point that we were talking about earlier is that, unfortunately, uh, what I heard from the senator, I think a senator, is he? Yes, former Uh, senator. Yes. Former senator. Okay, well, it's a good thing he's former. former (laughs) Um, The former senator. uh, (laughs) It just, it, I think it's very emblematic 
of the fact that no information is bad, but very little information is far more dangerous. And I think that's what he exemplifies, to be honest with you. And I say that with respect. Um, so that comes to the idea that, you know, and it speaks again to the whole over politicization of it, because when someone tries to over politicize something, they end up not knowing what they're talking about and, and trying to see things that are not there. Um, so this is this is one thing. And I think when it comes to the Iran point, a lot of people like to think that this is precisely an Iranian kind of uh, initiative and that Iran was behind this. Listen, uh, uh, Iran ha- has benefited from this. this we, we cannot you know, just say no. Uh, but to say that it nudged Hamas to do this, uh, to be honest with you, is very perhaps a very difficult kind of argument because Hamas already had a mandate of trying to, quote unquote, stop the projects of normalization. Now, this could take many kind of forms uh, and look in many, it's manifested in different ways. But this situation for me is so large that if anybody else knew about it, it would have been leaked and people would have known about it, that it was going to happen. And so, you know, the, the idea that there is also a, just a third point to talk to, to, to mention about this point of Iran. I'll tell you what, Frank, the problem, what comes with the simplifi- simplification of the Middle East is that there is an aspect of triangulization. There's too much triangulization. Saudi Arabia and Israel is viewed within a lens of Saudi Arabia, Israel, and Iran. That's what got the traction of this building, this kind of momentum to normalize relations. Um, you know, it gave it traction and gave it more resonance. Um, this is too simplified. You know, this, this triangulization, a lot of people think when Saudi Arabia normalized relations, not with Israel, but with, with Iran, not a few, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, uh, people said, oh, well, what does this mean for Israel? And, and so the fact that we have to stop thinking that one plus one equals two in the Middle East, it's not like that. You know, it's not like any other kind of place. It's a, it's a far more complex uh, situation and dynamic, which people don't tend to. I don't think people can't understand. It's that people don't want to understand. Right. right. They, is the issue. they want to craft the a narrative that fits their own yeah. view of the situation. I understood. Uh, Aziz. With, 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 with as little with as little reading as possible. Right. right. <laughs> um, two final questions I want to ask you before we let sure. you go. And I hope you'll come back. Uh, it's very, very enlightening talking to you. It seems I, I, I enjoyed this. It, it, it seems that the sentiment in Gaza is fairly split on Hamas and a lot of Palestinians yeah. support the cause of Hamas. I don't know whether that's 40 percent, 50 percent, 60 percent, but a fair number of Palestinians seem to support Hamas, what Hamas is doing. How do we get to peace given that reality yeah. when the charter of Hamas yeah. basically calls for the yeah. abolition of the Jewish state of Israel? Uh, let me be very clear. We here in Saudi Arabia considered Hamas a terrorist organization uh, be, before all of this. And the situation is that, you know, it, it, nobody, nobody will ever condemn um, or condone actions against innocent people. This is just completely abhorrent and unacceptable. The issue is that it's, when people support uh, resistance, 
this is the idea is that what, what do they see and what is the information there? The situation, how do we get to peace? The peace is that there has to be, Frank, there has to be a, a political horizons. Uh, and the problem is that there is an absence of horizons. There's an absence of, you know, direction. And to be honest with you, Frank, if the, if the occupation continues, it's not, Hamas could come and go, but these sentiments are going to be there because the biggest fuel to this fire is an occupation. You know, I, as a student and as a researcher of this, I looked at this and I looked at the Arab Peace Initiative, which we could talk to later on, which we could talk, to, talk about later on in another show that I look forward to joining. But, you know, when, when one looks at this, and says, wow, this is an occupation that's actually heinous that just because, you know, there's a lot of people that don't know the dynamics of the Middle East. They don't know the dynamics of this occupation, too. And that's precisely why I and and many Israeli friends work together to try to address this issue. You know, just because we stand against the occupation, there are there are genuine Israelis out there who want to see an end to this. There are genuine Israelis out there who want who say, listen, stop. This is this occupation is not good for us, and there needs to be a Palestinian state for the sake of Israel, and for the sake of the Jewish uh, uh, identity of Israel. This is what they say. This is this is why we have to keep an open mind, and I, and I'm trying always to keep an open mind and reach out to Israeli colleagues, and and and, and they help me understand a better path to to Abu. There's no way, but you know, you and I don't have uh, policies in our hands, but we, what we can do is control how we talk about these policies. We could control our language. We could control how we perceive. We could control of trying to be constructive and trying to y- unite people that really, uh, ba- not based on mutual interests, which is what this Saudi-Israeli bloc and the pr- former senator is talking about, but on mutual uh, principles of peace. Principles is the way forward. Uh, final question, Aziz. The president of the United States, Joe Biden, is going to the Middle East today. He's meeting with the Israeli prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. He's meeting with the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas. He was supposed to go and meet with the king of Jordan for a summit with uh, the Jordanians. He's meeting with the uh, the uh, leader of Egypt, al-Sisi. The summit with the king of Jordan has apparently been canceled. What are yeah, you hearing? Yeah. What are you hearing about why the king of Jordan is refusing to meet with President Biden? It's because of the explosion of the of the of it's, it's the explosion of the, the hospital. That's why. So when the explosion of the hospital, the news of the explosion of the hospital erupted, uh, the, the whole the, the whole summit fell just fell apart. And then, it, it, you know, given Biden's uh, very stalwart position towards Israel and he's making, you know, his 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 position to always reiterate uh, Israel and, and make sure that he basically he sent Blinken to to go into Arab capitals and to say, hey, Israel has a right to self-defense. And I think nobody denies that. But, you know, the, the situation is that we can't say Israel has a right to defense without context too so that's why the situation fell apart and also the sentiments just domestically and around the arab world is just too too much i i don't think it it would have been it would have been very politically costly had uh they received biden and discontinued against this backdrop 
Uh, Aziz Algishian, I very much appreciate the time. I hope we can chat again soon. I have a lot of other things I'd love to ask you about. My pleasure, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Frank. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can do so at uh, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.